Chapter 4 Little Sister Snow. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. Little Sister Snow by Francis Little. Chapter 4 For two halcyon months, Yuki san lived in a dream. The ample compensation Merritt insisted upon making for the hospitality extended to him more than met the modest needs of the little household, and once again, as in the earlier days, they went on jolly excursions, visited ancient temples, and picnicked under the shadow of the tori. The father and mother always trotted close behind, and Yuki-san, vastly pleased with her ability, gaily translated the speeches from one to another. She talked incessantly, laughing over her own mistakes and growing prettier and more winsome every day. Merritt was glad to fill his leisure time with such pleasant companionship. Yuki-san was the same little bundle of charm he remembered of old, with her innocence untouched and a heart whose depths had never yet been stirred. He teased her and taught her and played with her as he would have played with a merry child. Naturally gentle and affectionate, he unconsciously swept Yuki-san to the borderland of that golden world where to awaken alone is agony. One morning when the heavy mists of the valley lay in masses of pink against the purple of the mountain, and His Highness the Sun, his face flushed from his long climb, was sending his first glances over the sunny peaks of Fujiyama, Yuki-san arose after a sleepless night and faced the morning with sorrowful eyes. "'You very lazy, Mr. Sun, this morning,' she said, shaking a finger at him in reproof. "'Where you the have been? Why not you come the more early and make light for my busy?' She whisked the bright sleeves of her kimono out of her way, and twisted a bit of cloth about her head, fell to dusting and soji, and setting the small room in order. "'I must hurry,' she said as she kept up her brisk dusting. I make the food so quick as that Robin-san steal berry for his babies. Today him one big, big day, but him no glad day. Merit-san go away. She paused in her work, and a look of pain darkened her eyes, but she shook her head reproachfully. Ah, Yuki-san, you make sorry voice, and your heart is thinking tears. You naughty girl, quick, you make the fire to rise in Hibachi, and give Merit-san his goan, same thing that funny Merica called breakfast. After the steam had begun to rise from the vessels on several Hibachi, Yuki-san, flushed by her exertions, rested upon her heels before the door that led to the garden. As she fanned her flushed face with her sleeve, she glanced again and again toward the narrow stairway that led to the chamber above, and at the slightest sound she listened in smiling expectancy. From outside the wall came the gentle slip-slap of water against the sampam, and the cheerful banter of the owners as they made ready for the work of the day. Circling the garden, the fern-like maples made a note of vivid crimson amid the feathery green of the bamboo. Every feature of the place was closely associated with her short, happy life. She had learned to walk on the soft, sandy paths. She had spelled out her first characters on the old stone lantern. She had whispered her secrets to the broken-nosed image of Quanon, 
who sat in the shadow of the pines, and there under the plum tree she had caught the naughty kitten that first brought her and Merritt-san together. As she sat with folded hands and watched the sunshine on the dewy leaves and flowers, her intense, restless, vivacious body relaxed in sudden languor and her soft mouth drooped in wistfulness. A splash in the pool below attracted her, and looking down she saw the gleaming bodies of the goldfish as they leapt into the air. Instantly she was all life and volubility. Yuki-san one big bad girl. She no remember lil fish. They always like hungry baby-san in early morning. I make fast to fill big hole inside, very little outside. Slipping her half-stockinged feet out of her straw house shoes, she stepped into her wooden geta, and passing a shelf filled her hands with round rice cakes. The edge of the water turned to gold as the fish crowded close. Yuki-san scattered the crumbs and stood watching the wriggling mass for a moment, then said, "'You very greedy little fish. I never know can fill your bodies. Now I can get flour for Merit-san's breakfast.' She made her way over the flat mossy stones, past the miniature Fuji where dwelt the spirit of the wondrous lady who made the flowers to bloom. She paused before the gorgeous chrysanthemums and looked long at the morning glories with their tender tints of dawn. But at last she spied on a rose bush, set apart from the rest, a single white rose with a heart of red. With a little cry of satisfaction, she thrust her hands upon the thorns to pluck it. The rebound of the bush sent fluttering to her feet a brilliant purple butterfly. Tender to all living things, Yuki-san dropped quickly to her knees and folded the half-chilled creature between the palms of her warm hands. "'Ah, Chocho-san,' she said. "'The day of yesterday you so big and strong. The morning of today you have the weakness of cold body. That Jack Floss, him very naughty boy.' She put her moist red lips to her folded palms, and the warmth of her breath stirred to action the gauzy creature she held captive. "'You must no kick, Chocho-san. Have the patience. I make you warm. I give you one more day of happy.' Yuki-san's wooden shoes sent a sharp click into the quiet morning air, as she quickly crossed the arched bridge and followed the path to the stone image beyond the pool." With a touch as soft as the wings she held, the girl lightly balanced the now thoroughly warmed butterfly on the broad forehead of the goddess of mercy. In sharp contrast to the spirit of the scene came the clear, rollicking strains of an American air, whistled by someone coming down the steps. For a moment Yuki-san stood motionless, pressing her lips softly to the rose she held. Then, with a swift pitter-patter, she ran back to the house. "'The top of the morning to the Honorable Miss Snow,' said Merritt, who quite filled the doorway. Not willing to be surpassed in salutation, Yuki-san laid a hand on each knee, and bending her back at right angles, replied with mock gravity, "'Ohayo guzaimasu kyo wa yoi otenki.' Merritt knew she had him at a disadvantage in her own language, but, always delighted to see the play of her dimples and the soft pink creep into her cheeks when he teased, he stood by her now,
big and stern, and growling. See here, Yuki-san, otherwise Miss Snow, you must come off your high stilts of that impossible lingo, and speak nice English suitable for a little boy like me to understand. Little boy like you, she rippled, little boy like you. Merit san him so long, when he make Japanese bow, he come down from top like big bamboo tree, so. Putting her hands high above her head, she bent till the tips of her fingers touched the floor. Still bent, she twisted her head till her eyes, bright with laughter, looked straight up into Merit's. He lifted his eyebrows quizzically. See here, Yuki-san, you are fast developing the symptoms of a coquette. She quickly straightened her back, and with a smile of bewilderment exclaimed, Me croquette? No, no, croquette. Him little chicken ball what you eat. I know can be eat. Merritt shouted with delight, then grew grave. No, Yuki-san, you don't ever want to be a coquette. You want to be your sweet little self, and make a good wife to that handsome soldier Saito with all his gold braid and dingle-dangles. But what about breakfast? You see, my train leaves in an hour. If you don't give me something to fill my honorable insides, I'll have to eat you, sure enough. In mock fear, she quickly brought a low table from the inner room, and with deft hands placed the steaming soup and boiled fish before him. The knife and fork were a concession to Merritt's inability to wield the chopsticks, and sitting on his heels was Merritt's concession to the inability of the house to provide a chair. Hello, he said, picking up a long-stemmed rose. Where did you find this beauty? I guessed her with my nose, the girl answered. You know what make her heart so red. Long time ago, most beautiful princess love with wrong man, make Buddha very angry and he turn her body into white rose, but her heart just stay all the time red, cause of beautiful love that was there. My, he's a fierce old customer, that Buddha of yours, said Merritt. Yuki-san paused in the filling of the rice bowl and looked at him gravely. Merritt-san, do you know God? Do I know God? he repeated, with a half-embarrassed laugh. Yes, Christian's God, what you must love and love, but no never can see till die time come. You know, Merit-san? Then, lowering her voice in earnest inquiry, she went on. You believe that Christian's God more better for Japanese girl than Buddha? For a moment Merit felt the hot blood of confusion rise to his temples. The role of spiritual advisor was a new and somewhat embarrassing one, Struggling for an expression, he floundered hopelessly. I, I, I guess I don't know very much about it. But there's one sure tip, Yuki-san. The Christian's God is all right. You can't lose out if you pin to him. He stammered like a foolish schoolboy, but struggled bravely on. When things get pretty thick and you've struck bottom, that's the time you find out. I know. I've been there. More's the pity I don't remember it oftener. "'And you think him more better for me?' asked Yuki-san, still perplexed. "'You bet I do,' said Merritt with conviction. "'Take my word for it, and don't forget.' "'I no forget,' she said. A sliding of the screen, and a call from the courtyard announced the arrival of the Jinrikisha men, who had come for the baggage. Merritt thrust back his half-finished breakfast. 
By Jove, I'd almost forgotten this is my last meal with you. Just to think, all that tiresome old government contract is finished, and I'll soon be on my way to the other side. You want to see other side? she asked. Mama-san not there no more. Then seeing his face darken, she laid a quick hand of sympathy on his. I have the sorrowful for you, she said earnestly. Then went on hastily. That other side, yes, I know that most beautiful America, most big ship in the world come rolling to Habota, Merit-san, so long and big, stand way out front and see over much people. Then he cry out, Hero, hero, with glad and much joyful, he see that lovely girl like picture waiting there. Without pausing for a reply, she pushed open a door and called in Japanese to her mother and father, who never made their appearance till Merritt's breakfast was finished. Come, make ready to give our guest an honorable departure, she said. In the small courtyard facing the street, the girl found the men with their jinrikishas and baggage wagon waiting to convey Merritt to the station. She carefully directed the tying on of various trunks and bags and placed the family just where they should stand that the greatest honor might be done the departing guest. As Merritt came out of the little house and reached for his shoes, which stood waiting at the side, Yuki-san started toward him, eager to serve him to the last. Merritt motioned her back. Don't come too near, Yuki-san. If you happened to fall into one of those shoes, you'd be lost forever and ever, and that big Mr. Saito would be inviting me to cut off my head. Yuki-san laughed and smoothed the fine cushions in the jinrikisha while she gave last-minute instructions to the jinrikisha men. Merritt had made his adieu with high good humor and so many big words that Yuki-san was hard-pressed to interpret. He invited the family and all their relatives to come to see him in America. When he reached Yuki-san, he held out his hand, made shy by the unusual ceremony, she timidly laid a cold and unresponsive little palm in his. He looked down from his height with tender memories of all her gentle courtesies. "'Goodbye, little snow girl,' he said. "'I'll never forget Japan, nor you.' She withdrew her hand and looked inquiringly up at him. "'So long time you come back?' Merritt climbed into the jinrikisha. "'No, Yuki-san,' You know, I'll soon have a little home of my own to work and care for. I'll be a busy man for the next few years. So I guess I'll not come back. As in a dream, Yuki-san saw the men adjust their hats and tighten their sashes as they took their places in front of the small vehicle. Mechanically, she bowed her farewell with the rest of the family, but she did not join their sayonara. She watched the swift moving of the jinrikisha wheels, then she saw Merritt turn at the gate and wave his hat as he joyously called, "'Goodbye, Yuki-san. God bless you.' The girl stood still, her eyes on the empty gate. Like a lonely, hurt child, her lip quivered, and she caught it between her teeth to steady it. "'Ah, Yuki,' cried her mother, "'some spirit has wished you harm. A drop of blood rests on your lips.' Yuki-san drew her hand across her mouth, and tightly answered that maybe a robin had tried to steal a cherry, but to herself she murmured, My heart bleed for lonely, he never come back. End of chapter 4 
Recorded by Kate Sterner in Minneapolis, Minnesota, November 2013.